0: The race is on, and Lewis Hamilton took his second victory the 2021 season after passing both Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas in the Portuguese Grand Prix. But what does it tell us about the balance of power between Mercedes and Red Bull? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer these questions and more are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. The Race F1 podcast is brought to you by Escapade Living. Escapade is redefining the race experience through the integration of hospitality, track access and lifestyle. Escapade Silverstone will overlook the famous Cops Corner and Maggots and Becketts Complex and offers the ultimate private space that can be enjoyed with friends and family. It heralds a new era of motorsport adventures. To find out more, go to escapadeliving.com. With no dashes, just escapadeliving.com. Imagine if you'd have of Hamilton and Verstappen battling through that part of the lap at Silverstone, Scott. It's not impossible to imagine that'll be happening by the time we get to the British Grand Prix, because that's three out of three, isn't it, for 2021 races of wheel-to-wheel stuff between the two title contenders.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad uh, it's not a bad strike rate so far. We've been um, we've been spoiled with how the 2021 season has started. I think. Um, I think we were all obviously massively hoping that they were finally going to go at it, but I I think uh, three races in a row, actually seeing them fight for position, fight for the win, ultimately, I know it was for second place today at the moment, but let's face it, they were going to catch and pass Valtteri Bottas. So, yeah, long may this continue. If it's still going on like this at Silverstone, then I think everyone's going to be pretty chuffed.
0: Mark, it does go to show that once you get cars with similar performance levels, you do get the kind of racing that people want to see, even Max and Lewis are loving the experience, perhaps even a little bit more than you're loving the experience of the world 's most echoey hotel room that you 're recording in.
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely um, putting up with a bit of echo is probably worthwhile it was um, it was a pleasure to be here and a great race to watch and um, yeah it, it it hinged on um, a, f- a few a few factors it did it, i don 't think it um, it hinged only on performance. Um, I, I still don't think we can definitively say which car was ultimately better. I, I suspect this weekend it was the Mercedes, but I don't think that's the reason that it won. I, th- I think that um, it, it, there the, 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 the were several ways that the Red Bull might have won, and um, it, it was just the way things played out. Um, Hamilton needed to um, sort of... Uh, up his game a little bit to what once he'd been, he hadn't set pole, he hadn't won the start and he'd been demoted a place on the restart. So, um, it looked on the surface of things unlikely that he was going to win from there. But, um, this is a, an unusual track and it, it's, there's a very little tire dig here. And you, if you've got the performance, you can run close behind another car. We saw it last year. And, um, those, um, those factors sort of played into Lewis's hands, and um, in combination with a, a a little wobble from Verstappen, it allowed Lewis to um, to get the place back, and and then subsequently to overtake Bottas for the lead as well. And then he had uh, Lu- Lewis then had Valtteri in between him and Max, and that really was the the race won. And it was just a question of who between Bottas and Verstappen was uh, going to be runner up.
0: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because as you say. If you look at the the bare facts of Mercedes' front row lockouts, a Lewis Hamilton victory, all feels very familiar from the past few years. So people say, well, Mercedes back on top. But there were a number of turning points, weren't there? Could things have been different had Max Verstappen been on pole position? He set a time good enough in Q3, but it was deleted for a, a track limits violation. Could that have changed things? Was there a way for Red Bull to win this race? Or or well, did Mercedes ultimately just have a little bit more in the in the armoury to to go and win on Sunday?
2: No, absolutely. Red Bull could have won the race. Um, I think if um, Verstappen had started from pole, yes, he, he probably would have won the race. Um, it's just it's t- t- turning on the the smallest little thing, you know, a little a little bit of crosswind as he's got the car loaded up on a tight corner, and it was, you know, I was beautifully corrected, but it took him just far enough beyond the white line, and by the time he went back out, normally normally you would be expect him to be able to go back out and just. Sort of repeat it without the without the error, but the uh, the wind had come up by the time he went back out, and every, everybody was like three or four tenths slower. So that that in hindsight was his golden opportunity, and yeah, his his weekend probably turned um, from what it might have been to what it was in in that in that moment when we look back in hindsight.
1: I'm I'm loving how all of these small details are, uh, are having such a big impact, and I think it's now. Um it's well. It's two-one. It's two-one. Hamilton in terms of the the wheel-to-wheel fights as as well. Obviously, he he edged it for for P two at the time on, on on the road. It was really nice because he um, he obviously got the move done and then that sort of defensive move into turn it's turn three, isn't it? Um, he put he he. I I saw at the time he I was riding on board with him. You know, he had that little look in the mirror to the left, knew where Max was on the entry to the corner. And it was quite clever driving because it it wasn't a case of him you know getting through the corner winding the lock off and then running Max out wide. Lewis just put enough lock on that keeping that same amount of lock on the whole way through the corner was going to give the car a natural arc that that forced Max out wide. So he didn't have to do anything dodgy on the exit of the corner. He he'd, he'd done the the hard that he he'd set up that defense a, a little bit earlier. It was just really clever driving and. I I heard after the race that um, Helmut Marko was complaining uh, because Red Bull's now lost a win, um, a pole, and a fastest lap to track limits offences, and something needs to be done about track limits. If you put uh, something at the edge of the circuit, this you know this wouldn't happen. Blah blah blah. There was gravel on the exit of the circuit. Max wouldn't have made the pass in Bahrain. He wouldn't have got pole and he wouldn't have got fastest lap today. So I don't really know what what if Marco's not got a leg to stand on, to be honest. If, if Max is getting those margins ever so slightly wrong, he should pay the price. And in this situation, he's paid the price by losing a few points across Bahrain and here. And I think that's great. I think it's amazing that we've got a, a battle at the moment where millimeters are, are are defining things like that so uh, yeah I, I don't see that as a problem or a controversy at all I can see why it's it stings Red Bull but I think it's brilliant
0: and the great thing is it's also showing us how good Hamilton can be when it's that tight because Verstappen is getting the chance to really see him up close in fact Nico Rosberg in the Sky Sports F1 coverage said that Verstappen now is really getting to understand just how tough a competitor Hamilton is he's racing him week in, week out. And that's the big thing for Verstappen now, isn't it? Just making sure he maximises all these little things. He's certainly capable of fighting for the championship and even winning it, but he needs to make sure he comes out on the right side of these these little marginal things more often, doesn't he, Mark?
2: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, they just, just I think now that he's, you know, got a car that he can go wheel to wheel with Hamilton every single weekend and arrive at a weekend knowing that he's going to be doing that, He's probably going to get a, a, a finer appreciation of of all those little details that do make the difference. And Lewis has been at this level for for many years, and uh, you know is is built in layers into his own game. They aren't immediately obvious to the to the naked eye, um, especially when you're out from dominating in the best car, but are very obvious when you get into a tight little battle. And and Max is. Um, Astute enough to 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 be taken on board and um, and you know building his own game as well, because in raw performance is, there's nothing to split them.
0: Yeah, and of course, the, the reverse of that is that also Hamilton will get the chance to see how good Verstappen is. And there's no doubt that Verstappen's going to be learning these lessons as the season goes on, which is just why it's such a great battle. The one thing I did like uh, after the race, Lewis Hamilton was asked about the restart. Obviously Bottas did the, the late restart, shall we say, uh, running not all the way to the line, but a reasonable way to it. And obviously he went, Hamilton was taken by surprise. And uh, Hamilton said he caught, he he said, you idiot to yourself because he was looking in his mirror to see where Max was just as Valtteri went. And then he moved and basically opened up a gap for Max to take the toe from Bottas. (laughs) I just quite like the fact that Hamilton admitted just how big a racecraft error he'd made in that moment. But then of course he he fought back and that that was the really interesting thing. This was a race where he went from third to first making passes on track on, on merit. I know Sometimes we get people who aren't so convinced by Lewis Hamilton say, why are we always talking him up? And it's like, well, we're not talking him up. We're just saying what he's doing. And again, this was another very, very fine performance. But Scott, Valtteri Bottas in the other car, he didn't have a great start to the season, but pole position by a tiny margin... Perfect place to be for the race, but again, left disappointed. This is the latest in the long-running series of Valtteri Bottas sympathy corners we've had on this podcast. But why did it go so wrong for him? Why did he end up once again being the third man in that uh, battle up at the front?
1: um I, I, I don't really know. um I, I don't think he knows either. If I if I knew, based on what he said after the race, if I knew, I'd be able to tell him, and that might make him feel a bit better. Because um, I know that immediately after the race, anyway, he was. Um, he was baffled by why he didn't have that pace in the first stint, which just meant that he wasn't able to, he wasn't able to build a gap, which is what we normally see the lead car do at the start of the race. But obviously, he he was struggling to, um, he was he he was struggling to get to get out of, yeah, uh, of DRS range and just sort of stayed vulnerable, really, um, which I think just set the tone for his race. And then once he'd uh, once he'd fallen behind Lewis, um, he, it was obviously the priority was just to try to keep Verstappen at arm's length. But you know, Toto Wolf said afterwards that sort of indicating that Mercedes didn't help Bottas because he was ultimately, he wasn't done on the undercut in terms of Verstappen passing him while Bottas came out of the pits. But obviously it meant that Verstappen was able to attack immediately and got the place um on botas's outlap, so so that was crucial. And then there was some kind of uh there was some kind of engine glitch, wasn't there, where some kind of sort of I guess safety mode briefly kicked in and seemed to cost Bottas some power. But I don't I don't really know the the full story. It cost him five
2: seconds. It was an exhaust sensor, um a faulty exhaust sensor which cut the engine power into um exhaust safety mode and it was quickly understood to be a sensor failure, so he just sort of control, all delete, um, switched it off. <laughs> and um, and the, the power came back, but it had lost him about five seconds. But he'd already lost the place by then, and it, it, it didn't look as though he was about to get it back. So, um, yeah, it, it cost him a bit of time, but I would say that was all. Um, the, he lost seven-tenths to Red Bull in the pits, and that seven-tenths might have been the difference. Um, you know, to when he, he, Where he came out, he came out so closely ahead of Verstappen but on cold tyres that had he had that extra 7 tenths he, you know you might not have
0: needed to have been so
2: um, optimistic in his breaking into that corner.
0: But while Bottas was unsure why he struggled at times obviously there were separate problems as well but this does fit in with the Bottas pattern doesn't it? Very, very quick in qualifying, and then it was—it was a bit of a gusty day, a bit of wind to adapt to. We talked before about this that Bottas just isn't as adaptable a driver when the conditions are varying a bit as Hamilton is. So, could it just be that, Mark? But It was just this—this this wasn't a Bottas kind of race to win.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the 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 greater the driver, the better they are at improvisation, and um, you get some drivers who can get very, very close to the. The top level, if, if if they're allowed to get into their own groove and, and, and conditions remain relatively stable, and they can chip away at perfecting it, and because they have a, a very good understanding of uh, the, the, the tech technicalities and, and a very good uh, technique, But when it becomes about reacting to quickly changing variables, and that's when the, that's when you see the great drivers, um, you know, able to able to ad- adapt. And it's just he's just in the he's in a very fortunate position that he's in um, a great car and has been in a, a race winning car for the last few seasons. But he's also in the unfortunate position that he's um, fighting one all time great as his teammate and another one as a, as a rival in another team.
0: Well, he's not the first driver to be in that position. He's certainly not going to be the last. And actually, one other driver who is in that situation is Sergio Perez, finished fourth. That's actually his best Red Bull result of his three outings, so that's something. But Scott, he he sort of lost touch with that lead battle early on, didn't he? He got caught out by being passed by Norris and then seemed to think he was going to get given that place back, which was an erroneous assumption and just lost a little bit of time. He still lost a bit after that as well, but he just got disconnected early on, didn't
1: he? Yeah, um, it... I don't I don't want to make an unfair comparison to last year because obviously ultimately Perez did get back into the position that he should have assumed. It was a little bit reminiscent of those moments where um Alex Albon for example would have to fight his way into being ahead of that midfield group and um he would he'd be well behind by the time that happened obviously on this occasion Perez didn't spend a huge amount of his race out of uh, out of fourth place. But it, well, yeah, it was just enough to make a difference. And it was like, uh, it was like when, when Bottas was sort of the cork in the bottle and when he was also unable to, or when he was holding up Max, basically, that was the sort of situation where, you know, if, if Perez hadn't lost that time early on, if he'd been, you know, two or three seconds adrift in that stint, there would have been an opportunity to get in the mix there but he was just never close enough to do the job really that was needed in terms of giving Red Bull a little bit more to play with strategically against the Mercedes drivers so it was on it was on it was unfortunate um i think i think it was a difficult weekend for for, for Perez he was is it is very similar to after qualifying really because after qualifying he was very he was he, I, he was quite glum actually he, he he didn't really he didn't really want to buy into any of the the positives or you know try and use x or y as a reason to be happy about it you know you could have put that in perspective and said well look you're still doing a better job than red bull had for most of last year and you are in the position that you're meant to be in but but he wouldn't take that really um i think he felt that this weekend was much more difficult than he thought it would be and he didn't quite have the answers as to why that was the case he sort of had a basic idea which was that he couldn't quite get the tires working properly and qualifying um but he didn't know why that was the case and you get the impression always when you speak to Checo that he's so aware of the bigger picture that he knows that there is this risk that okay if there is if there is a reason this weekend didn't go well he needs to understand what that is and why otherwise it could happen again so I think it's part of his makeup um I'm sure he will have learned a lot because it's still only his third weekend in the car but yeah it was just he he he's banked some he's banked some good points um he probably enjoyed leading the race for a little bit because of his strategy, uh, but yeah, he was never he was never the rear gunner that that Verstappen needed in that fight.
0: And ultimately, difficult as a start as Perez has had, he still got twenty two points, and I think Albon only managed one hundred and five in all of last season. So that shows how uh, how much. Better as a baseline, uh, Perez, isn't he? He'll, he'll keep getting better, but yeah, the the big story, it's just this, this next layer in the season, isn't it? It's Hamilton versus Verstappen. Hamilton now an eight-point championship lead with 20 races to go. That's nothing effectively, but it's just great that they're just going back and forth, taking chunks out of each other and really, really enjoying the battle, as I'm sure every F1 fan is as well. Well, Mark, looking a bit further down the field, we've talked lots about Lando Norris this year, but he's proving extremely difficult to ignore. Started seventh, up to fourth early on, fourth race in a row. He's been best of the rest, fifth place this time. What a run he's on.
2: Yeah, totally classy weekend. Um, I think he uh, he used those uh, soft tyres to engage Perez in battle early on. and then once you know, once he'd done that and, and, and the Red Bull had started to pull away, um, he just set about consolidating his place. And he, he never looked in any danger of losing that best-of-the-rest tag, did he? And he was, I think, um, I spoke to him after qualifying, and he was a little bit disappointed in hindsight they didn't opt for the mediums in Q2 because if they had, he would have had two runs on the softs in Q3. And he felt he could have been um significantly further up the grid um but he, he, he caught he on race day he put he put the car back where it should have been anyway, so where he in the car should have been um had he you know taken more of a risk in with with the tire selection in q two so he got the same result there he just went about it in a different way um but yeah absolutely in control of his weekend uh maximized the the result from the from the car and just never looked um, anything other than totally in control.
0: It's the thing I quite liked about all three of his races this year that early on he's had to do a little bit of work to establish himself in that lead midfield position. Obviously, he lost a few places off the start at Imola, He had to get through Leclerc in Bahrain. So he's kind of doing a bit of everything this year, Norris. That's what's really impressing I me. Mean, this consistency. We've always seen these peaks from him, but he'll be a little bit up and down and. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he stacks up against Ricardo once Ricardo's there. But Scott Daniel Ricardo ended up ninth in the race. Horrible Saturday, fell in Q one and was generally very very puzzled about it. But it's it's not getting any easier for him, is it?
1: No, and obviously made hard work for himself getting knocked out of of Q one, which he quite rightly described as unacceptable. Um, I think there were a couple of factors that sort of contributed to that. He didn't he didn't have the tidiest lap. I think he was. bit frustrated with some traffic and i think he sort of suggested that the team has also admitted that it's not quite been able to to find what it what he needs in the setup so there is still something in the car that that, that's missing but even with all that that said he shouldn't be he shouldn't have been so far off in q q1 he got knocked out and, and and he knows that and he admitted that so the problem he's got at the moment is that he just doesn't feel like he's able to take that car where Lando can take it and he, he feels that it's on a bit of a knife edge that that Lando's able to drive around a, a little bit better. Initially on after qualifying, Ricardo was sort of suggesting that this is something that's gonna need upgrades to to fix for him because it's about driving style and there's only so much adaptation that he can do to drive around the limit the the limitation that he feels and that he wants upgrades to sort of because the upgrades ideally will fundamentally change the car characteristics, not hugely, but enough to give him that feel and confidence. But now he's actually talking about having some ideas on what to try on the setup. I think he wants to tweak the suspension or he says it's, sorry, I should say he says it's somewhere in the suspension that he thinks he can make a change that, that brings a bit more out of it. Um, he's struggling with locking the brakes a little bit, lo- lo- losing the rear. So it's just it's just not coming together it's not it doesn't sound like it's particularly joined up um for want of a sort of more a better way of putting it but as he says you know he's excited to go to barcelona for the first time <laughs> given how often they drive the cars there um but now it's sort you know it's a bit more familiar downforce track so um i think i think mean, that's going to be a good test of just how far off ricardo really is i suspect when he'll joins it up he'll he'll make a pretty big step pretty quickly
0: Ultimately, it'll all be in that corner entry phase. He's talked a little bit about experimenting with different driving styles in the sim, and he was actually relatively content with the progress he was making through practice, so Q1 was a little bit of an outlier. But Ricardo will get there, won't he, Mark? Again, all of these drivers who have moved are still saying variations of, of the same thing, aren't they?
2: Yeah, he'll get there. Um, it, it's all, As you say, it's it's always in the um, entry phase of the corner. It's usually into the slow corners. And it's just about getting the um, initial rotation on the car, which you have to be very confident to do um, to be able to be precise enough to get just enough on without it upsetting the car and upsetting the rear. So um, as we we talked about it the last time, I think um, that impacts about how confident you are on the brakes. It impacts about how confident you can get on the throttle and all those things um, if you're not fully attuned. If you're not doing those things to the optimum, um, braking, turning in, accelerating, you'll be slow. And it, that's what we're seeing with with all the new guys. Um, and it, it's interesting. Reguardo, uh coming from a Renault to a McLaren, feels that the McLaren's on a knife edge because when Carlos Sainz went from a Renault to the McLaren, he found that the McLaren was much nicer, that the Renault was was, was on a knife edge. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, I think... Um, the different development directions that the cars go in and it's the, the incumbent driver just goes with it and just feels the, the, the progressive development in, in the car and just automatically adapts to it, whereas somebody coming in cold, um, especially with a day and a half preparation, um, yeah, feels, feels it.
0: And also, as Carlos Sainz has said a few times this season, it's amazing how differently different cars can produce similar lap times. Which just shows how big a style difference. Now all the cars look ostensibly similar, but very, very subtle differences. When you're operating at this level, it's just so, so detailed and precise where they get the the pace from. But Scott, Charles Leclerc six, Carlos Sainz though, started in qualifying, faded to eleventh. Medium tire seemed to be Ferrari's enemy in that race. So how do you explain the strategy choice for the second stint? Was that a mistake putting Sainz on the mediums?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. In hindsight, um, it looks like um, it looks like they should have gone. To the hards that that had had the set available, Um, but it just looks like simply caught out by how much he would struggle on the medium. Because Carlos said afterwards that they felt that switching to the medium at that time should have got them to the ra- uh, to the end of the race with no problem, uh, but it didn't. And he 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 wondered if part of the problem was maybe pushing so hard at the beginning of his stint. I think we've heard at various times this weekend, weekend, haven't we? That the drivers have had to be be quite careful at bringing the bringing the tire in. So, if uh, if car, if signs pushed too much too soon, um, it might just sort of set the tires basically on a fast tracked path to a point of no return, basically. And it certainly looked that at the end because he, he was looking really good, or at least. Looking like he he was going to hang on towards the end of the stint, I think mean, they 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 swapped the cars around, didn't they? Uh, with Leclerc getting ahead of Signs, but it still looked like Signs was going to make it to the end in the points, and then obviously the the longer the race went on, the the more he faded, and yeah, that was just his undoing.
0: I do wonder whether the Ferrari pit wall was a little bit flat-footed there, because what you say about the the philosophy of the strategy from Science's perspective makes sense, but also Leclerc after the race said. Yeah, I really struggled on the mediums, having grainy and all sorts of problems in the first stint. So, I wonder whether that was one of those things where Ferrari needed to react a bit, a bit more and think, "Oh, hang on a minute, Charles is struggling on the mediums. Perhaps that's not the tyre for us, and maybe put Carlos onto the onto the hard." Again, easy to say with uh, with hindsight, but perhaps not the not the sharpest move when you hear Charles Leclerc saying uh, that sort of thing. But we should say, Mark. Good for Carlos Sainz to have outqualified qualified Leclerc. And I think it showed Carlos's strengths, didn't it? You did a great piece on the race website, so the race.com. Don't forget the hyphen if you want to have a look at that, about how that battle played out on Saturday. And it, it really was interesting how you you drew on the threads of the respective strengths of those drivers and why Sainz's way paid off and Leclerc's for once in qualifying didn't.
2: Yeah, and I think he's just um, – because Carlos is still in a learning process and because he's um, – very uh, diligent about how he how he's going through this the, the familiarization phase it was almost as if the unusual demands of this circuit you know low grip and very windy he just sort of inc- that that was encompassed in his his learning program so he's, he's thinking about every corner all the time um whereas leclerc just threw himself into it and it it just it didn't it didn't work um I think had Leclerc, a bit like Lando, um, had they not been so conservative and uh, opted to go through on the, on the, on the soft, um, I think he would have had a very different race. And um, his, his first run, he, d- he did try a Q2 run on the mediums, um, but he hit traffic and then locked up. So it, again, you talk about how weekends turn on tiny little details, just being in that Part of the track where there was another car at the wrong time in Q2 probably made a, a huge difference to his weekend. And I think he quite feasibly would have been finishing where Charles finished had, he, um, had that not happened. But instead, he's, he's you know faded out of the points.
0: Yeah, Charles Leclerc, of course, sixth place, more valuable points for him. But a few unexpected cars behind him. We've talked a lot about how disappointing Alpine has been. But when it came to life in Portugal, Esteban Ocon, seventh, Fernando Alonso, eighth. Where's this pace come from, Mark?
2: They are always very good on slow corners anyway and this is the, the speed range of the critical corners on this track does does suit them but even so that was still a surprise um they've got an updated um, diffuser on the car um they were pretty uh um, up about um the you know how 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 much performance that's that's added and they are feel that they're now getting on track after their um, pre-season difficulties in the wind tunnel, um, both with the program itself and the, and the tunnel. Um, so, yeah, what we may be seeing now is, is the actual genuine continuation of where they were at at the end of last season rather than the, the stuttering beginning that we've seen. But let's um, reserve judgment on that because we go got to Barcelona where the corners, where the important corners are a lot faster. Um, so let's just see if that carries through to there or whether it it goes back down to where we've seen it in um, Bahrain and Imola.
0: Yeah, Fernando Alonso wasn't especially upbeat about this being the new regular level for the car, but he did accept that some of the changes on the car, including that tweaked diffuser, had also paid off. So interesting to see, although he's particularly keen on sharpening up his qualifying acts, because he said, in Barcelona and Monaco, if I do badly in qualifying, I'm not going to come through. So... He really needs to get that edge of pace, and of course, he set a lap good enough for third in FP3 that was then deleted. So he was looking really, really sharp, but then, of course, didn't even make it through to the top ten in uh, in qualifying. So good, good race drive, but still, Fernando, very, very happy to talk about the fact that he's still got some some more sharpness to to find, and I'm sure he will. Scott alfatari that seemed to be the car for all seasons, based on what we saw in the previous races but in Portugal really really hard work for Gasly even to score that that one point that he got just seems that tracks found the unsweet spot the one unsweet spot in that Tari's armory
1: yeah yeah i think that's exactly right um it's a, it's a shame because uh they obviously had such tremendous potential in the first two races and didn't produce so actually gasly came here and had arguably his cleanest saturday sunday combination of the season so far just so happened to be at a time when the car wasn't working as well so disappointing um i think particularly disappointing to see that obviously yuki tsunoda's had an up and down rookie season so far and yeah just w- w- was never in in in, in contention um w- given how strong his debut was you wouldn't have pegged him fighting uh george russell's williams early on would you uh free races in so yeah, I think a bit of head scratching. I know the team were baffled on Friday after practice as to why it just suddenly wasn't working, and obviously wasn't working as well as they expected it to work here as well. But that midfield is so tight; you don't need to miss out on a huge amount to to, to lose a few places. And ultimately, while it was hard work, Gazley did qualify and finish in the top ten. So it, it shows that on their weaker weekends, they're they're still. It's still a point-scoring car, and they they just need to make sure that they understand why it didn't work here, and see, you know, there will be other tracks that have similar character characteristics. You know, for example, if they're going to go to Monaco and they've got a car that doesn't work maybe particularly well at, uh, on, on on slower corners, they they they, they could struggle there and, and other circuits like that. But I would imagine, given what we've seen from this team in the past, that won't be the case, and there might be a specific reason why they they struggled a bit more here.
0: Yeah, but very, very upbeat, Pierre Gasly, about what they can do in Barcelona this weekend coming. So we should see AlphaTauri hopefully pitching back for those top six positions that they were, they were delivering in qualifying in the first two races. But yeah, Pierre Gasly had to work hard to pass Carlos Sainz to get that final point. Well, let's talk Aston Martin, Mark. Sebastian Vettel back in Q3 for the first time this year. I think that was the first time... Since one of the Silverstone races last year, he reached q Q3 astonishingly. Faded to 13th in the race, one place ahead of teammate Lance Stroll. There's a floor fast-tracked onto Stroll's car. That's one upgrade they managed to get get through, so one positive. Vettel also more comfortable with the car, so that's another box ticked. But overall, the end result is very, very little. Aston Martin's not expecting to be finishing 13th and 14th on Merit in races, but that's that's where they were.
2: Yeah, um, Seb definitely did make a bit of progress this this uh, weekend. Um, watched him out on track; he looked very confident through the faster stuff. Um, uh, not as not as uh, hesitant, let's say, as he has looked sometimes. Uh, he was, I think, he was probably flattered a little bit in getting into Q three because it depended on the the, the problems of uh, of Stroll and Ricardo and, and Q one. So they weren't there to uh, to to be, you know. You'd have normally expected them to be faster, but you know he got in there. But that meant that he had to start on a soft tyre, which was not not the best best way to start the race. Um, but yeah, that's that's where it
0: panned out in the end.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it's making progress slowly.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to be long, hard season for Aston Martin. That's fairly clear, but. Vettel will have the upgraded floor for Spain this coming weekend. They worked hard to get that ready so they could evaluate it, put it on Lance Stroll's car, which Vettel said was logical because Stroll's been better so far this season. So, yeah, makes sense to put it on on his car. But Scott, looking a little bit further back, Mick Schumacher, a lowly 17th, but in a Haas, that's pretty good. Past Nicholas Latifi in the closing stages, so a strong race. His first era free race really confirmed that he's putting together a quietly assured rookie season down the back of the grid, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it was important to get that clean race in because he'd shown sort of flashes in Bahrain and, and Imola that, that he, he could actually do something quite impressive. But unfortunately, he he spun in both those Grand Prix. So not only did that mean that we were seeing his pace out of context because he wasn't fighting or you know trying to hang on to the tail of the midfield, but they were also mistakes, so they it, it meant that he, he'd made errors and it wasn't a great all-round performance. Um, but Imola in particular, I, w- I was really impressed by because th- there was a big pace step there and he left Nikita Mazepin for dead um, in that internal team battle. Um, and But for that spin under the safety car at Imola, like the race would have been really impressive. I talked about this, I think, on the, on the last podcast that we did. Um so to come into to, to to Algarve and 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 then keep that going, have that strong race, and yeah, nick, nick ahead of Latifi who made a, made an error, and that's how Mick got past him. But Mick was there on merit, harrying him and pressured him into that mistake. So yeah, I think he can be um, I think he can be rightly proud of uh, of that performance, and I think it's also quite encouraging for Hass because okay, Williams had a particularly bad day. And we know that when, when obviously, George Russell does one of his mega laps and <laughs> nearly sneaks into Q3 in that car, you know, Haas isn't going to be racing that Williams, but it's a bit of an indication that as these guys get more competitive and, obviously, Schumacher looks like the one who's actually going to do it, there's a chance for Haas to actually sort of snipe at, at Williams and, you know, maybe even aim for, you know, a Q2 appearance or, or something like that. And It doesn't sound like much, but I have to say, off after what we saw in pre-season and what we were fearing after the off-season, it's probably actually a little bit better than I expected they might be fighting for this year.
0: Yeah, well, they've just got to do what they can with that car and make sure they're in position to capitalise on problems for others ahead. And if you can pick off the odd Williams or whatever, then that puts you that that one place closer to the points. But difficult weekend again for Nikita Mazepin. Mark, what do you make of, of his progress? The The gap at the end of the race between him and Schumacher... 66 seconds, that gap slightly exaggerated the difference. But if you look at the first stint, he was still losing three and a half tenths per lap easily to to Mick Schumacher. So it's been a real struggle, even when he's not getting in the way of the leader.
2: Yeah, it surprised me that um, he's struggling quite so much because um, he's done a lot of Formula One mileage over the years. And, you know, he looked fully competitive in Formula Two last year. In fact, um, if you'd asked me pre-season, I would have said I, I... he would probably initially be the faster of the hust drivers, and I expected Mick to sort of gradually come on and and, and maybe um, edge ahead later on. But it, it, it's just not happening. There's something he's not. There's something not quite right there. He's, he's not tuned in, uh, in 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 some way because he's he's not naturally as far off Mick as 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 it's. Um, appeared in the first three races um, there's something fundamental not happening there um, it's
0: it just it's too far off yeah it's certainly looking to be quite a long hard season for him but at least he fared a little bit better than Kimi Raikkonen Mark 372nd world championship race start for Kimi Raikkonen that lap one mistake when he went at the back of his teammate Gio was pretty embarrassing wasn't it
2: yeah fairly schoolboy era wasn't it he was um, he was looking at a, a switch change he, he, he'd done a switch change and it, it hadn't given him um, the effect he was expecting. So he checked to see if the switch had actually changed. And as he was looking at it, he was still doing 300 kilometers just behind his teammate at the end of the first lap. And of course, he was unknowingly he was being sucked into the slipstream of, his, of his, uh, the, the car ahead, which was his teammate. And by the time he looked up, he was just about to hit the back wheel, which he did, of course. And um, yeah, that, that was the end of Kimmy's race.
0: Yeah, an unfortunate day in particular for Kimi Reikling, because he didn't just lose that race result, but also, Scotts. they tried to get the Imola result reversed and get that ninth place back. Can you give us the, the very quick version of exactly what happened there?
1: Yeah, well, the reason he's um, he's ended up with uh, the same penalty applied that, that was applied to begin with, because um, even though they were successful in having it reviewed, The stewards then came to exactly the same conclusion because, uh, unsurprisingly, exactly the same facts apply to the incident. So, um, the the only it was it was weird that it was even allowed to be reviewed. Basically, it was it was it was reviewed because uh, the stewards at Imola had said, "Oh, this rule and penalty is applied is always applied like this and has been consistently applied like this in the past." But it turns out that the basis for that claim wasn't in F1 it's that it's been applied that way in Formula 2 and Formula 3 and the stewards basically use the feeder categories if they don't have a relevant data point from F1 but in addition to that it turned out that the stewards were wrong because the precedents from the feeder categories weren't from a red flag rolling restart so yeah they got that completely wrong so the stewards in Portugal said okay yeah we appreciate that that's information you wouldn't have had so let's revisit it, but unfortunately for Alpha, the, the the base fundamentals of the incident in itself changed. We reckon it did something wrong. Um, although the stewards have admitted that the rules were a bit contradictory, there was one saying that he had to do something by a certain point, but another rule kicked in that meant he couldn't do that. So there was this contradiction, but as the steward said, unfortunately, regardless of a rule contradiction, each individual rule on its own is clear, Raikkonen needed to follow them he didn't follow them he broke the rule and the punishment for breaking that rule is a mandatory penalty which is what was applied so as much as they had sympathy and they saw the difficulty of it it was exactly the same verdict again so no no points for for Kimi or Alpha.
0: All credit to them for getting the review through because you've got to work quite hard to actually get that process to happen so they at least achieved something. I should briefly say Antonio Giovinazzi actually had a pretty good weekend, qualified and finished 12th, which in the Alfa Romeo I think was a pretty good return. He's actually had a quietly consistent start to the season, which is quite good because one of the things I've criticised him for over the past couple of years is being a little bit too erratic, even for a driver who was only in his second season, full season of F1 last year. But putting together a relatively sensible year this season. But Scott Williams, disappointment. George Russell qualified 11th look to have the best chance of a points finish that Williams has had probably since 2018 on merit. But wind, but wind sensitivity led to a race of survival, as he calls it. Should we be surprised that it all fell apart?
1: <laughs> no, because I, I, I do think that when we see these Russell heroics in qualifying, you do sort of want to buy into the idea that it's finally going to happen. But I think the fact is that that car can be tamed over one lap and Russell is really, really good at at doing that and taking its places on the grid it really has no right to be but it just doesn't happen over a race distance so i think they still need some fortune if they are gonna end that point drought um especially the one on merit um and for, from from the moment sort of racing started properly after the the safety car restart um yeah russell looked a bit too eager to sort of make something happen against Sebastian Vettel. And I think, what did he lose something like five or six places in in, in one lap? Five places, I think, because which all started from him ending up getting himself out of position, trying to get past Vettel when he kept going on the outside. And then he just ended up in this horrible sequence of being offline. And he had a huge lockup as well, which kind of helped because that must have flat spotted a tire. Um, But yeah, just, It just never looked comfortable and the race was pretty miserable affair after that and as we've sort of discussed Nicholas Latifi being passed by a Haas late on just kind of added insult to race injury.
0: Yeah I think 16th behind Yuki Tsunoda was probably about as good as it was going to get for a Williams at least he wasn't behind a Haas unlike Latifi but just as we wrap up Mark Spanish Grand Prix coming up now if you look at the Spanish Grand Prix in the V6 turbo hybrid era it's Pretty much, wall to wall, Mercedes victories. Aside from that infamous collision between Hamilton and Rosberg in 2016, it's also quite often Barcelona where Mercedes has had its biggest advantage. So, this is historically Mercedes territory. Should we expect it to be again, or is it rather foolish to have any expectations given how small the the, the margins are?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think past history doesn't really apply in this battle that they're having with Red Bull because it's so. The, the two cars are so close the two drivers are so close the two teams are, are so close so i think it just it's going to come down to who does they, the the that that combination of team team driver and car um just who's the best on a on a given weekend um and i don't think history's got much to do with it really it's um it's it's about now and i, uh, I, I think oh, my my gut feeling is that this weekend has been more dominated by tire grip and the track surface interaction with the tire, then it, it, it's reduced the, uh, the the dominance of aerodynamics of, of downforce uh, because the, the tires are very low grip and the, the track was very low grip. And I think uh, we're going to get back to a more conventional sort of setup in Barcelona and my hunch is that it, that change will suit the red bull better than the mercedes but let's see
0: yeah the logic suggests that could be the case but it's it's so so difficult to be sure but yeah heavily dependent circuit the most dependent circuit we've had so far this year so it's going to be really interesting to see how things go thanks very much scott mitchell and mark hughes for your insight head to the and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there mark hughes's race analysis out on monday morning as well as my ever controversial driver ratings you get the chance to argue with me in the comments on that story as well and scott mitchell as always will be working away on all sorts of fallout from the race weekend check out our sister podcasts including bring back v10s and our newly launched IndyCar podcast and head to our youtube channel if video is your thing Just three races down with 20 to go. and In a few days, F1 will reconvene just outside Barcelona for the Spanish Grand Prix. As always, the Race F1 podcast will be back soon with everything you need to know from the fourth race of this amazing season.